Welcome to Focus on Success with Fazia Costi. Our program is designed to help you with executive function challenges. Our guest experts offer perspective, experience, and ideas to improve different aspects of your life. Now, here is your host, Fazia Costi. Good morning. Welcome to the show. I'm Fazia Costi, and I'm your host. And uh, I'm an executive function coach here in Phoenix, Arizona, but I see clients all over the country through Zoom, and I love working with individuals, helping them find ways to be the best, the best version of themselves, to find success in their everyday life. And today, we are meeting with a, a wonderful woman by the name of Francine Sumner, who owns a business called Kid in the Corner. And she's doing some phenomenal things to help individuals become more successful in life. And I just want to welcome you um, onto the show, Francine. How are you doing today? I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I'm so excited you're here. So the first thing I'd like to start off with is if you could just tell our listeners a little bit about you, because one of the things we're going to talk about today is um, Francine's son, Zach, and but I want to talk a little bit about your family and a little bit about what leads up to Kid in the Corner and, and Zach. So sure. please, thank you. Okay. First, I just want to say that um, I don't own the business. Kid in the Corner is a nonprofit. And so um, I am the, the founder and CEO of that nonprofit, but um, it's, not, it's not a business I own. Um, so a little bit about me. I'm originally from New York and born and raised there. I moved to the Valley when I was 30. I transferred here with American Express Travel and um, met my husband. And we decided to settle down here. We were both working for American Express and had three kids, Jacob, uh, Gabrielle, and then Zachary. So I had three. And we lived a pretty normal and chaotic life, um, you know, as parents of three kids do. Absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, Phoenix Boys Choir, my daughter was in soccer, you know, Zach, um, we learned how to, we went as a family to learn how to foster dogs when he was 10. So we always had, you know, animals in our home and it was a really fun and chaotic place. Um, right after uh, Zach turned 13, I think it was right after his bar mitzvah, his dad and I separated. Um, you know, but it was amicable. It was okay. His dad went to California and, you know, things were, things were okay. And right in the middle of Zachary's sophomore year at high school, um, he presented with mental illness. And he was my third. And I had had, you know, two other kids that have gone, had gone through teenage years and the angst and the moodiness and, you know, all of that. But this was definitely different. Um, you know, the night before his uh, last final for spring break, he, uh, my house was just crazy. Jacob, my oldest, wanted to know what was for dinner. And Gabrielle, my daughter, was getting ready to go on a birthright trip to Israel. And her clothes were strewn all over my bed. Um, the dog was barking. And <laughs> Zach came in and he like sprawled on my bed. And he said, um, I, I need help studying for my final right now. And Gabrielle, you know, my daughter was like, get off my clothes. And I said, listen, let me, 
let me just help her. Let me finish up with her. Let me get dinner started. I'll come help you. And he got up and he had a different look on his face and he went across the house to his room and he slammed the door and he sent me a text, a very, very long text in all caps. And it said, don't bother. You don't care about me. Nobody cares about me. Um, you would you would always drop everything for Gabrielle or for Jacob, but not for me. And um, it felt different. What a what a heart wrenching text to receive from your from your youngest child. Yeah, my my, my stomach dropped, um, and I said to my daughter, "You know, you finish up here. Let me go see what's going on with them." And I went to his room. And I said, Zach, I'm sorry, I didn't realize how much you needed help. I'm here to help you. And he would not answer. You know, he just was silent. And I knocked on the door and I tried to text him and I called him and I just kept talking to him through the door and he just wouldn't answer me. He was, he was angry. And I said, okay, I'm just going to sit here right outside your door until you're ready. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here to help you. When you're ready, come on out. And I knew sitting there, something wasn't right. It just felt different. And about 45 minutes in, I heard a crash, and that was his first attempt at suicide. When he came out of his room, um, he was hysterically crying. And he said, Mom, why do I care so much about other people, but nobody cares about me? Oh, Yeah. You know, and as a mom, all you want to do is fix it. Sure. But that's how he was feeling. You know, and up until that point, he was he was a pretty typical kid, right? He, he loved animals. He loved golf. He was um, great <laughs> at the Rubik's cube. Um, he was a terrible speller. <laughs> he had horrible handwriting. <laughs> he was gifted in math. He was very kind. He was one of the kindest people that you'll ever meet. He was the one who always welcomed the neighbors with a, with a welcome basket. Um, oh, that's yeah. so nice. He was, you know, if his teacher, if he thought his teacher was having a bad day, he'd bring a chocolate bar in. Um, you know, his, his, one of his very best friends was somebody he'd known since kindergarten, uh, uh, a kid um, with autism, um, mm-hmm. Jake, who just, who they just loved each other. I mean, he just was that kid. And so, you know, I don't know if everybody just thought he was fine, if people didn't pay as much attention to him because he was pretty independent. I think my daughter was kind of, you know, she was a girl. She was a little needier um, as a teenager than, you know, my sons were. I don't know. But I knew at that moment something, something wasn't right. And I remember thinking, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what to do. You know, if Zach had broken his leg, I would know exactly what to do. Sure. Not because he'd ever broken his leg before, but because it's common knowledge. And that was, for me, the first time I realized that there was this huge stigma surrounding mental health. And I really and truly didn't know what to do. I was paralyzed. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to call, what to do. Um, he, we talked a lot that night. I had found out that he'd been sitting by himself in the media center having lunch mm-hmm. for about three months. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Because his friends, who are, are great, great kids. I mean, I love them all still today. Mm-hmm. His friends and he, um, who he'd grown up with, you know, would have lunch together and they would tease each other. 
they were, they were boys and they did the typical, you know, they tease each other and, um, and whatnot. And one day he happened to be the butt of the jokes and he took it really personally. He said he couldn't figure out why it bothered him so much, but it really sent him into a spiral mm-hmm. and he didn't have lunch with them again. And they never really thought to check on him to find out why, which is pretty typical for sophomores. Um, sure, absolutely. You know, I don't know that they thought maybe, you know, he had joined a club or went for tutoring or found some other friends, you know, to eat lunch with. I don't think they gave it much thought. No, they probably thought they were giving him space to do his own thing. Right. And, you know, I don't think the uh, the staff in the media center were trained to be on the outlook for kids who all of a sudden started isolating. Um, and so he sort of fell through the cracks, right? And all of this came out that night. Wow. Absolutely heart-wrenching. Did he ever receive treatment for mental illness? Did he ever have a diagnosis? Well, right after this happened, the next day, uh, they were getting ready to go to California to see their dad. All three of them um, were getting in the car to go see their dad. And I didn't know if I should send him, if I shouldn't send him. You know, um, I talked to his siblings. I talked to him. He wanted to go. That's what they did for spring for uh, winter break is they went to see their dad. Sure. And so I sent him off to see their dad. And I remember sitting on the bed thinking, okay, I need to get him some help now. I need to find a provider for him. And again, I, I, I didn't even know where to start. I didn't know what the resources were. I didn't know how to find the resources. Um, I called two friends, one that was in substance abuse, one who's a pediatrician, they both gave me a couple of names, but um, a couple of different names, but they each gave me one person that was the same name. And I thought, I'm going to start there. Sure. And I called and she was happy to get me in, in May. This was December. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wait, what? That's I a made- long wait for somebody yeah. who has a mental illness. It was. For um, any kind of illness, to be honest. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the point, right? Had he broken yeah. his leg, we, you know, we wouldn't you would have had immediate services. Absolutely. I did make that appointment, but I continued to try to find another provider, um, especially one in our insurance, but I couldn't find anybody that took our insurance that could see him immediately. Um, I did find a provider that was out of network. He didn't take insurance and he was $600 for the first hour, $400 a week after that which is not sustainable by most. Um, Correct. That is true. But, you know, I think at that point I would have mortgaged my house, right? It's, it's right. your child and, and that's what you do. So he came back from California feeling worse than when he left. And we had an appointment to go see this psychiatrist. Before he left for California, his pediatrician did put him on an antidepressant slash anxiety medication because it does take a while. And she wanted it to be in the system for a couple of weeks before, you know, um, you know, before he saw a provider. So he didn't have to start from scratch. Sure. Not every medication works as we know, sometimes antibiotics are the wrong antibiotic, right? Mm -hmm. So this medication was making him feel worse and, you know, after he saw this psychiatrist for a few times and he kept spiraling down, the psychiatrist uh, recommended that he go to 
um, an inpatient facility. And he was happy to go because he only wanted to get his life back. He only wanted to start feeling better. And we went right from the doctor's office to grab some things. And we went right down to Banner Behavioral. They did an assessment and they took him in. And so he was inpatient for two weeks. At that point, you know, he saw the second provider now, you know, the second psychiatrist, because when you're in the hospital, you see, you know, the hospital psychiatrist. So this was now his second one. He, they changed his medication. They did stabilize him. They would ask him every morning, do you have a suicide plan? And he said, I don't, but I know what I could do with the chairs in here. And he said, you know, if you could remove those chairs from my room, I would appreciate it. And they did. But when the shift changed, the chairs got put back in his room. And so he felt like even in, even here in the hospital, people aren't listening to me. They're not taking me seriously. Um, I'm, I'm asking for help and I'm, and those chairs are back in my room. It was very upsetting to him. After two weeks in the hospital, he was finally ready to come home and we left the hospital. Uh, he, he turned his phone on and it took him two days to tell me that he had no texts, no voicemails, no messages, nothing. So nobody called or checked in on him. Mm-mm. And he had gotten one card in the hospital from a friend of mine and he got a note in the hospital from his brother. His brother had written him a letter that said, you know, Hey dude, I miss you. Can't wait for you to get out. Let's, we're going to go get ice cream. And, you know, meanwhile, while you're in there, here's three riddles. And if you can't figure them out, I'll, I'll tell you the answers when you get out. I love, I, cannot, it. I love it. I know. I cannot tell you how many times that letter was open and closed. Um, he, when he came out of that hospital, he felt invisible and I had to show him my phone. My phone was blowing up. Um, you know, so everyone was checking in on him, but through you. Oh, okay. So he was missing the text because they were coming to you. Exactly. Well, that, that was nice. And the reason for that, again, is stigma. Because if people don't know what to say, they don't say anything at all. Sure. Or maybe they thought he couldn't have his phone, so they sent the information to you. They requested feedback from you. Wow. So so he's in the hospital. He, he gets his treatment. He gets out. What happens next? So he gets out. He's feeling a little stronger. He's on a different medication now. Um, and it's March, I believe. Uh, yeah, it's March. He gets out of the hospital in March. Um, and he starts to attend what's called um, DBT program. So it's dialectical behavioral therapy. Right. It's a 10-week program for him, three nights a week, three times a week. Three, yeah, three nights a week, three hours a night. Right. And don't they also include family therapy with that? So they do. They include every other Wednesday night. Um, parents get to spend that time with their child practicing and role-playing uh, different coping mechanisms, different strategies. It's a wonderful program. I think everybody should go through it. It's a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful I, I, I refer quite a few people to, to DBT. It's amazing. <laughs> I like it, yeah. Yeah, he loved it. Um, they actually asked him to stay in longer because he was such a role model for the others. He felt like, I'm doing this once. I want my life back. I'm going to do whatever they tell me in the hospital and I'm going to do whatever they tell me in DBT. He was also seeing a talk therapist at the time. 
And when he came out of the hospital, they found us another psychiatric provider. So this is his third now, another psychiatric provider that happened to be in our insurance plan. Okay. She was not great. We did not mesh with her. Um, And that happens, right? You know, not every doctor patient relationship is great. And, you know, she, she spent a lot of our 20 minutes talking about how she wished she didn't have to take insurance because she could make a lot more money. It just wasn't a good fit for us. Um, But I'd never canceled that appointment in May, right? So he was in DBT. He was in talk therapy. um, And he learned in DBT to create a life worth living. That was the one skill he really walked away with. And for him, um, spending time with animals was a huge thing for him. And um, he was an entrepreneur at a very, very early age. He had business plans. He had all kinds of things, different businesses. He made money. Um, he had an ice cream business. He sold watches on eBay. He did all kinds of things. So I he, love it. Yeah. Awesome. He was a businessman. And so he put this business together called Perfect Walker and Pet Sitting. <laughs> and he had a website. He had door hangers. He had t-shirts. He had people working for him. He had a ton of clients. And, you know, we realized that for him, his self-love language was acts of service and spending time with animals. And so he did, you know, he created this life worth living and he had all these plans. Um, His dad, on the other hand, was, you know, ever since I met him, he was um, an exerciser. That's how he relieved stress. That's what worked for him. And so every day his dad would call and say, did you go to the gym? I signed you up for the gym. If you go to the gym, you'll feel better. And Zach said, mom, make it stop. I don't want to go to the gym. I want to walk dogs. And we realized at that point, it was really important for for Zachary to understand what his self-love language was and for his dad to understand what his was. You know, we tell kids all the time, you know, identify yours and make sure that you advocate for it and understand others in your family um, so that, you know, you understand how you each sort of reduce stress in your lives. So he was doing this for a while, loved it, absolutely loved it. He was continuing talk therapy and he still wasn't feeling great at school. At home, he was feeling better. His brother and his sister, they were, the three of them were really close and his brother and his sister started what, what was called sibling night. So every Tuesday night, the three of them did something together. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, he was starting to feel better, but at school, he still felt the stigma. He still felt invisible. When he went back to school, when he went back to his temple um, uh, confirmation class, nobody really said much to him. His teachers didn't, the students didn't, and he just felt really awkward. Wow. In, go ahead. No, I just said, wow, that's just. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So in May, we fi- finally was May, and we, we went to that one provider that was originally suggested to us, and we went to see her, and she asked him how he was doing. This was her first appointment with him, and he, you know, he, he explained that he was feeling better in his personal life, but he was still having a lot of anxiety at school, and school was really uncomfortable for him, and, you know, he just felt the social anxiety. And so she decided to increase the medication he was on um, by 20 milligrams. No, by 10 milligrams, I think, or 20, I can't remember. 
but she increased it. And over the next few weeks, Zachary started to exhibit manic behaviors. He was, the pendulum was sort of swinging in the other direction. And like he'd walk in, you know, he walked in with this like nice haircut and new clothes and he was buying people gifts and talking fast. And I, something felt wrong again. And I, I felt like I couldn't pin him down. I was well, home. Go ahead. What was he diagnosed with? Depression. Okay. So he was, uh, you know, he was out. I was home. He was home. I was out. Um, he was always with clients and, you know, getting new, um, you know, new animals to walk and take care of and all of this. And he seemed really happy, but it just seemed to be going really fast. We finally connected one night and he, you know, he, he was crying and he said, you know, mom, I'm manic. I looked it up. I, I, I'm in a manic episode. Please, can you help me? Take me to the store and help me return things that I bought that I don't need. And, you know, my, my thoughts are racing. My dreams are really vivid and I can't shake it. And we happened to have an appointment with his provider the next day. We went to see her and he said, I'm, I'm manic. I feel like I'm in a manic episode. And she said, you know, perhaps he needs to be on a mood stabilizer, but it's only our second time, you know, seeing, seeing him. So let's just reduce his medication back to what it was and see what happens in a few weeks. We didn't have a few weeks. Um, the night that he died, he was taking care of a client's cats. She had been out of town and had a neighbor watching her cats and the neighbor got sick. And so she found Zachary on nextdoor.com and reached out to him. They had never, the two had never met and asked if he would be willing to, you know, take this over. She just lived around the corner from us. And he said, of course. So he met the neighbor and got the keys and for the last couple of weeks had been taking care of her animals. Well, the day that she was coming home, he had inadvertently locked one of the cats behind a door and he had to break that door to get the cat out. And he had apparently gone back and forth to Home Depot all day trying to fix that door. He called a locksmith. It didn't call us. Um, when I texted him that night, it was about 8 o'clock. I said, Zach, it's time to come home. It was June now. He was uh, in summer school uh, making up some PE class. And also he'd had a cold. And it was just time for him to come home. Right. She said, give me about a half an hour. I'll be home. And a half an hour later, he sent a text to about eight of us. And he said, I love you all so much. Thank you for everything you've ever done for me. You've all been so kind to me. My daughter was in the living room with her friend and I was in my room and we both jumped up and I called him. I said, Zachary, what is going on? And he, he answered. He said, mom, hang up. I don't want you to hear this. And I just had a sinking feeling. We, we knew where he was. You know, he, he had sent us his location and we, by the time we got there, he was gone. He had taken his life with a loaded gun he found in her house. Um, wow. In a very manic episode. And it turned out that he was bipolar, misdiagnosed, on the wrong medication, not because it was anybody's fault, but because of stigma. He saw four providers in a six-month period. Nobody had him long enough to properly diagnose him. Um, and, you know, after he died, you know, at his funeral, I got up and I talked about stigma. I talked about how 
you know, nobody reached out to him, not because they didn't care about him, but because they didn't know what to say. And so they said nothing. Right. And he didn't understand what was happening to him because nobody was really talking about it. And so he internalized it. And he was a kid, you know, and and as a kid, you don't have the life experience to really understand how people behave. (laughs) Right. You know, you, you have expectations that are, people will call you, people will talk to you, people will ask you questions. You don't really understand the whole idea behind a stigma, societal norms, societal expectations. So that's, I'm glad that you're talking more about this and, and um, getting the word out. Um, that's just a, a heartbreaking situation. But it sounds like you have a lot of influence towards others in helping others. So t- tell me a little bit about um, what is your mission uh, for Kid in the Corner? So the mission at Kid in the Corner is to shatter the stigma that surrounds mental health and support the kid in the corner, whoever that may be, right? We're not going to change Zachary's story. Um, His story has an ending, but we can change the story for other kids and other families. And that is what we're out to do. And so we, we educate and spread awareness. We promote contagious kindness and we, um, we provide like <laughs> resources to community. We connect community to resources. I like the contagious kindness. That's, that's, that's a nice little term you've got there. That's very cute. Okay. Well, I, I love that. I love the fact that you're reaching out to other community um, organizations and schools as well. Um, t- tell me a little bit about some of the programs that you offer. So the, the, the main program that we offer is called the Penny Pledge Program. And the Penny Pledge started because Zachary was a coin collector. Um, and when he died, you know, we found thousands and thousands of pennies. And we started to wear them um, to remind us to be kind like he was, because he was so kind. But it's become more than that. It's really become the cornerstone of our organization. And after people go through the program, after people go through the Penny Pledge program, then they take what's called the Penny Pledge and they pledge to reach out to the kid in the corner. They pledge to take care of their own mental health, know that it's okay to not be okay and a strength to ask for help. And they pledge to wear their pennies proudly so that other people know that they are a safe and caring person to talk to. And then we have a three-day program that does a deep dive into each part of the pledge how to reach out and why it's so important, how to take care of our own mental health. Um, We develop a self-care plan, including hotlines and self-love languages like we just talked about. I love Um, it. mm -hmm. Mindfulness techniques and such. And then we talk about being a safe and caring person. What does empathy really mean? How do we create empathetic statements? And what are the resources we can use when a friend comes to us in trouble? Well, I would love to talk about all of this in in more detail. Uh, We're going to take a break in a couple minutes here. And before we take our break, I would like you to tell everyone how they can contact you, how they can get in touch with Kid in the Corner if they would like this program for their organization or if they'd like this program for one of their schools. So if there's um, a school counselor or a teacher listening in or a parent listening, I'd love to have 
you offer them that information so they can contact you. So Francine Sumner is our guest today from Kid in the Corner. And Francine, if you give everybody your information, that would be wonderful. Sure. So the best way to contact us is to go to our website, kidinthecorner.org, and um, click on the contact tab. And you can send an email. You can send a direct email to me at f.sumner at kidinthecorner.org. You can follow us on Facebook. We're also on Instagram. um, And we're on Twitter. But if you want to send an email, the best thing to do is to go to kidinthecorner.org or to send one to me directly at f.sumner at kidinthecorner.org. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. And when we come back, we're going to talk a lot more about how you go into the schools, how you offer the program, um, and and basically talk about your impact on the the kid in the corner. So um, I'm Fazia Costi. I'm an executive function coach in the Phoenix, Arizona area, but I see individuals remotely throughout the country. So if you're interested in my services, you can contact me at 480-648-1122. You can also go to my website, which is executivefunctioncoachaz.com, or you can email me at fazia at executivefunctioncoachaz.com. And what I do is I help individuals create success in their lives through coaching, and that coaching helps people improve their memory, focus, problem-solving skills. I also work with people who need time management um, skills to be improved. So there's, there's a variety of ways to help somebody become more successful. And that's what this program is about, is helping people find ways to be more successful. So we'll come back after this break, and we'll talk more to Francine Sumner from Kid in the Corner. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you are struggling with organization, time management, or other executive functions, Fazia Costi is ready to put you on the path to success. Visit executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Fozzie works with in-person clients at her Phoenix, Arizona office or with clients anywhere across the country remotely. Mention that you heard this ad from the Focus on Success radio show and receive a free initial consultation with Fozzie, plus $50 off an intake evaluation, a $300 value. Visit executivefunctioncoachaz.com or call 480-648-1122. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Focus on Success. 
To reach Fazia Acosti or her guest on the live show, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Fazia at executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Now, back to Focus on Success. Hi, welcome back. This is Fazia Costi, and I am your host. Today, we are speaking with Francine Sumner, the founder and CEO of Kid in the Corner. And Francine has been gracious enough to talk about her son, Zach, and his journey through mental illness, as well as his suicide and how it's impacted her life. And today, she not only shared his story, but what she's done um, after his death has been uh, a very uh, impactful experience for her as well as others. So, um, Francine, I would love to talk a little bit more about the program that you offer, the three-day um, program that you offer, as well as the Penny Pledge. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, so, the three-day program that we offer to schools right now is is being done virtually, although it can be done in person. We've done it um, in a hybrid situation, and we've also done it virtually, but we use um, a technology called Pear Deck, which is an add-on to Google Slides. And so it becomes like a virtual classroom. So we can, you know, pretty much um, be in classrooms all over the country. It doesn't have to just be in Arizona, although it is right now. And the three-day program focuses on the three different aspects of the pledge. So the first aspect, and, and you know, overall, the overall arching um, mission is to shatter that stigma. So, you know, youth understands what the word stigma means and why there is a stigma around mental illness and not physical illness. So trying to normalize mental health and physical health is really the, um, is really the goal. And then giving youth the tools in which to do that. So the first day we focus on reaching out. Um, we talk about why it's important to reach out and how do we reach out? So, you know, we think about times that we might have felt invisible or times that we might have been struggling and nobody noticed. And what could we have used at that time? And can then give we, our, can you give our listeners an example of how somebody could reach out? Absolutely. Um, so with youth and especially in the pandemic, you know, we talk about um, we talk about who might be struggling Lots of kids say, you know, my, my parents are really stressed out by the end of the day. We talk about what you can do to reach out to your parents, to let them know that you see them, that you see that they're struggling, um, helping clear the table at dinner, taking out the trash, um, you know, helping with siblings, things like that, or just letting your parents know that you really appreciate what they're, what they're doing and that, you know, you know that they've had a hard day. Um, other kids will talk about friends that they haven't seen from soccer, for instance, and they could send funny memes or they could ask them to video chat, things like that. Making sure that we take time out of our day to notice the people around us and what they're feeling. Because when we're feeling certain things and we're feeling alone, we often feel that we wish other people would reach out to us as well. So it kind of goes back to how your son was feeling invisible. We don't want anyone to feel invisible. We want them to feel 
even if they're having a bad day. We want them to know that, hey, I, I see this and, and I'm here. I'm here to support you. Exactly. And, you know, reaching out can also be anonymous. When my daughter, Gabrielle, was um, out with a friend a couple of months after Zach died, you know, she was, she was an absolute mess. And she walked out of a restaurant and she looked down and there was a rock and it said, you're stronger than you think and you're beautiful, pass it on. And we talk about who put that rock there. It doesn't really matter, does it? Somebody thought enough to paint a rock, write a message that somebody else might need to hear. And she did. And so that's contagious kindness, right? Kindness makes you feel good and it makes the other person feel good. So there are lots of ways to reach out. Let people go ahead of you in, a, in the grocery store. Um, you know, Absolutely. Give, give grace, be kind. And the homework assignment for the first night is to reach out to three people and then talk the next day about what that was like. And me tearful. <laughs> it's, it's really incredible um, to see these kids reaching out to each other and the conversations that um, are inspired by the stories. You know, we have a saying at Kid in the Corner, if it's mentionable, it's manageable. And so, you know, we wind up seeing kids having conversations with them, with each other, um, about how they can support each other and, and different ways they can support their families. The second day, we talk about a self-care plan. So, you know, we talk about how when you have a cold, right, you know what you're going to need. You need tissues and cough drops. Maybe you need some Tylenol if you're going to have a fever, maybe chicken soup, um, you know, tissues for sure. These are the things we know we need in our, in our self-care plan when, we're gonna, when we have a cold. We make sure we have those things nearby. However, if our cold turns into bronchitis, what do we do? We go to the doctor. Why? Because we don't know how to heal ourselves. We need some help. It's the same thing when you're going to have a bad day or a sad day. Where, what is in your self-care plan? Um, what are those things that you know that you need? What is your self-love language? Let's, so how do you help people find that? So we give examples. Um, I always give the example of um, Zachary and his dad. Um, I give the, you know, I tell kids all the time, I like to play Candy Crush on my phone because I love it when the color bombs explode. <laughs> For me, it's almost like throwing a plate against a wall. It's like, you know, I can feel the energy um, sort of, or the stress sort of pouring out of me. And that works for me. And just because I'm playing Candy Crush doesn't mean I'm being, you know, lazy. Right, it right. It means I need some time to decompress. And giving my permi- myself permission to do that um, is very important. It's, it's taking care of myself. Right, and right. So starting the conversations about what kids' self-care langu- uh, self-love language is, and realizing that theirs may be different, quite often it is different, than their parents or their siblings. Um, and their homework that night is actually to talk to a family member about what their self-care plan is, uh, what their uh, self-love language is, and to learn about what their parents or somebody else in their family's self-love language is. So can you explain to our listeners what love language means? Sure. So there are love languages, right? Um, and I think that's a little bit uh, better known. Um, 
to acts of service, meaning doing things for others, um, physical touch, hugging, shaking hands, sitting close, um, words of affirmation, um, saying nice things to others, quality time, spending time with others, and gifts. So love language is basically how you want to be how how you want to be loved, how you want someone to share their love with you. Exactly. And how you love others. And how you love others. Right. So quite often the way we want to be loved is also how we show love to others. And Which may not be how they want to be loved. <laughs> exactly. And it's the same thing with a self-love language. You know, when we, when we talk to, to kids about what their self-love language is, some of them like to listen to music. You know, sure. some of them like to go, um, you know, to go shopping. Some of them like to write and journal. You know, others um, like to spend time with animals or spend time with family members. It's right. whatever it is that, that calms you down, that grounds you, that helps you to get through what you're going through. Right. So it could be anything from baking to gardening to shopping to exactly. whatever makes you feel good. That's Wonderful. Right. And can be very different than somebody else's. And so it's important to understand yours, but it's also important to understand other family members as well. Because sure. just because mom goes in to read her book for an hour doesn't mean that she doesn't want to spend time with you. It means right. she's putting on her mask first. And that's okay. We talk about mindfulness techniques. We practice a couple of those. We talk about safe friends to talk to and safe adults in and out of school. Can you talk a little bit about mindfulness techniques that you use? Yes. So the first one that we go through with kids is um, it's just a grounding technique, which won't change your life or save your life, but it will help you to calm yourself so that you can take the next step. So we look around at five things that we can see four things that we can touch or feel, three things, uh, I believe it's three things that we can hear, two things we can smell, one thing we can taste. So if you go through that, it will just calm your breathing a bit, calm your blood pressure a bit. The other one we do is called square breathing. We breathe for, uh, for four seconds in through our nose, Hold it for four, out through our mouth for four, hold it for four. Yeah, I use that technique for meditation as well as for um, hypnotherapy. Exactly. You know, and it's scientifically proven to bring our breathing down, our blood pressure down. Absolutely. Um, and it's just one thing in our self-care plan. It's just one thing that we have in our self-care plan that we can use when we need to use it. So can you talk a little bit more about the self-care plan? So if, um, if somebody was going to create a self-care plan, what would they include in that? So they would include mindfulness techniques. They would include their self-love language. They would include, if it was youth, their safe adult that they can talk to in school and out of school. We talk about safe friends that you can talk to, Right. Sometimes, you know, we have lots of different friends, um, but who can we really talk to about specific things like school or family? Can you define what it means to have a safe adult or a safe friend to talk to? What does it mean? Are, isn't everyone safe? So a safe adult to talk to would be somebody that you trust 
to listen, somebody who can be a good listener, and that will help you take the next step if one needs to be taken. So, and by next step, do you mean like if you need to go see a counselor or a therapist or somebody that can maybe help you in the medical field? Exactly. Somebody that will help you navigate the system, um, figure out what your next steps are, or it may be just somebody that is there to just listen to you. Um, You know, often people want to fix things. And when we have issues or, or we're struggling, you know, maybe we know it can't be fixed and we don't want somebody to fix it. We just need to be able to process it. We just need to be able to talk about it. Um, somebody that will hold your confidence. Um, that's your safe adult and somebody that you feel comfortable confiding in. Right. Same, same thing with safe friends. And, and you know, we tell kids too, um, sometimes it's your parent, sometimes your safe adult is your parent, and sometimes it's not. And that's okay too. It's okay if it's a if it's a family friend or you know an older sibling or you know an aunt or an uncle. Sometimes it's not your parents, and and that's okay too. Thank and then you. You know, same thing, of course, same thing with with safe friends. You know, some friends are really really fun, but they're just not the right listeners. You know, who do you really think you could go to if you wanted to talk something out? doesn't mean that they're bad friends. It just means that they're not the right friends. And these things may change over time. We talk a lot about social media. Um, you know, self, having self-care plans is, around social media is important as well because, you know, we, use, we say, you know, if you eat ice cream and candy all day long, while that might be, that might taste good, at the end of the day, you're not going to feel so good. Right. And it's the same thing with social media. It's a little, you know, a little bit of that, you know, not so great stuff for us is okay, but what types of things are you filling your social media feed with? What types of things are you filling your soul with? Exactly. One one example I give is that um, my daughter sent me a picture that she took of the two of us. (laughs) And I said, oh my gosh, my teeth are so white. How did you do that? (laughs) You know, it's, it's, it's just, it's not reality. It's not reality. And it's just important to know that it's important that we follow things that, you know, have to do with our hobbies or things that make us feel good. And, um, you know, not constantly allowing ourselves, ourselves to feed ourselves with that sort of candy and ice cream social media. Nice. Now, we talked about the three day program. So did we talk about the entire three day program? So the next day, um, the third day is about um, being that safe and caring person that others can talk to. And the things there are about empathy, really about empathy. So loving statements can be very loving, but not necessarily empathetic. Um, You know, we talk about how there's a mom with a little girl and a little girl is getting her flu shot and she's crying and she's like, I'm so scared. I don't want to get my flu shot, mom, please. And the mom says, oh, honey, there's nothing to be scared of. It's okay. I'll be right there right there, that's not empathetic because we're not putting ourselves in the other person's shoes. Now here's a mom telling her daughter, don't be scared, but the daughter is scared. And now there's this internal conflict about, but the one person I trust the most is telling me not to be scared, but I am scared. Um, it's, it's important that we don't tell people how to feel. It's important that we um, maybe, maybe we don't agree with or have ever been in that situation, but trying to look at things from that lens is very important when we're, when we're dealing in empathy. 
The other thing that we talk about is um, making sure that we understand the difference between tattling and advocating or escalating. So tattling is to get somebody in trouble. Advocating and escalating is to get somebody help. Um, So that's really important in being a safe and caring person. And then the other thing that we talk a lot about are are, uh, different hotlines, like Teen Lifeline. Um, Teen Lifeline is an incredible, incredible hotline that is staffed by youth, trained by master's level clinicians and supervised very closely. And we know that peers talk to peers. And so this is a wonderful texting line or calling line for teens that might be struggling or teens that want to help their friends that are struggling. Now, do you happen to have that number that we could share with the listeners? Yes, I can find that number for you. Excellent. I think that would be a really good tidbit of information to to give out to our listeners. And um, it's six. I'm so sorry. Go ahead. 602-248-8336. And if you could repeat that one more time. 602-248-8336. And that's the teen helpline number. So if you should need that number, um, that is available to anyone in Arizona. Can somebody outside of Arizona use this number? Absolutely. Excellent. Thank you. So we have a little bit of time left, and I would really like to talk about all the different areas that all the different organizations that you speak at. I know you speak at a lot of schools. Are there other organizations? I know earlier um, we had, you and I had talked about not on air, but before we, um, we went on the air, we had talked about blue cross blue shield. We had talked about um, other speaking engagements that you have participated in. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and what your biggest impact is or what you hope to have as your biggest impact? So so the biggest impact for sure is to make sure that mental health and physical health are normalized, that we shatter the stigma, that we understand what we need to do to be able to take care of ourselves and to take care of others. That is by far the most important thing that we do. And we do it through our three-day penny pledge program. Um, And by the way, Paradise Valley High School drills holes in the pennies for us. And then we're able to give every kid a penny when they finish the program and they actually take the pledge to reach out to others, to be a safe and caring person and to take care of their own mental health. Um, And then people can also find pennies um, or request pennies if they go to our website um, and it says, take the penny pledge. And then people can request pennies and I'm happy to send them pennies as well. Um, Because when we go into schools, we bring the pennies with us. But when we talk, like, for instance, Blue Cross Blue Shield, the initiative there was to try to provide penny pledge programming to the adults that support youth in their workplace. It's very hard to get parents to come to after school, you know, parent nights. We, we sort of tried it for the first couple of years that way. And it's really difficult to get parents to come there. So we're trying very hard to take our program to parents where they're at hence the workplace trainings. And we have, um, we have about five different ones. You know, we talk about Zach's story. We talk about um, what is stigma and how does stigma manifest itself socially and self. Then we talk about the tools to combat stigma. We do the whole Penny Pledge program. And then we have a program that is just about resources. 
resources in the four different stages. One, I just want to educate myself. So where do I go for that? We talk about different places that you can learn about signs of suicide and mental illness. Um, The second one is I or someone I know might be struggling. Well, Mental Health America has mental health screenings. You can learn more about the different disorders. Um, The fourth stage is I or someone I know is struggling. Psychology Today and some different community counseling resources and how to find an appropriate resource. And the fourth is I or someone I know is in crisis. And what are those crisis lines? And what are the 24-hour behavioral health centers that will do assessments? I wish I would have known this information when Zachary was struggling. And so it's very important to us that we put that information out to others. And all of those programs can be requested by going to our website. Wonderful. Uh, I I really do appreciate you coming on today and giving us this wonderful information and talking about Zach and talking about your personal life. I I know that it's, it's not been an easy thing for you. Now, we have a few minutes left before we close the show. And I just want to ask you, is there anything that you would like to leave our listeners with? Is there any bits of what's the most important bit of information you would like to share? I would really like listeners to know that mental health and physical health are no different. It's very important to take care of yourself in both realms. And just like physical health, there are some things that we can't fix ourselves. We need professional help. We need medical help. Yes, we need to bring ourselves to the table and follow doctor's orders. But it's okay to get help when we're struggling mentally. Thank you so much, Francine. So today we've been speaking with Francine Sumner, founder and CEO of Kid in the Corner. And Francine, we've got a minute left. Would you like to give everyone your contact information and your your email and your website again? Absolutely. The best way to contact us is to go to kidinthecorner.org. You can request a penny there. You can email us there um, to request us to come into schools, other organizations, any type of workplace. And to get in touch with me directly, it's f.sumner at kidinthecorner.org. Wow. Thank you so much. I, I know that you've given us a lot of your personal information. Once again, I just really genuinely appreciate it. I'm so glad you were here today um, to talk to our listeners about all this wonderful information. And um, once again, Francine Sumner from Kid in the Corner. And I am Fazia Costi. I am an executive function coach here in Phoenix, Arizona. And I help people improve things like their problem solving, focus, memory, organizational skills. And if those are issues that you feel you could use some help with, I would love to hear from you. Please give me a call for a free consultation. My direct or my number is 480-648-1122. You can also email me at Fazia at executivefunctioncoachaz.com or you can go to our website at executivefunctioncoachaz.com. And once again, feel free to call me for a free consultation at any time. Once again, we thank you for listening and we look forward to having you on our show next week. Thank you for tuning in to Focus on Success. Please join your host, Fazia Costi, for another program next Wednesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
Until we talk again, have a great week.